Hello, folks, and welcome back to another edition of Analyzing Blitz Scalable Venture Deals. This time, we're going to be covering deals that were announced in October of 2022. As always, I am Chris Yeh, joined by my partners Scott Johnson and Jeff Abbott of Blitz Scaling Ventures. And let's go ahead and get started. Scott, usually lead us off with an overview of the month. What's been happening in the month of October? Well, it's sort of the same. It's, it's more of the same, Chris. We've got a new lower amount of deals, lower number of deals. And the volume is about, you know, 70 to 80, sort of in that range, 85. And we're in the middle of that. We're at 77 total deals done. And, you know, you'd think in times like this that maybe the mix of deals would change, that you'd get more very early stage deals and fewer later stage deals that would be sort of intuitive to me. That's not what's happening. Maybe you'd see more you know, drifting back towards the U.S. and fewer overseas deals. That's not happening either. The percentages have stayed amazingly consistent through this downturn in the volume. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, but other than that, the only thing that's, you know, a bit of an outlier is that 40% of the deals this month were seed deals. And that's up from 30% last month. But I think that's probably just a monthly aberration. And so it'll be interesting to look at November and see if it goes back down to about 30% where it's been for the other months of the year. Well, that'll definitely be interesting. I'll also mention that I went to a dinner recently and I was seated next to a woman who was an attorney at one of the major Silicon Valley law firms. We'll go ahead and leave this particular law firm nameless to protect the innocent or guilty as it may be. But what she told me was that things were as busy for her as ever that there are lots of deals being processed going through constantly but i think as you had previously surmised scott a lot of these are happening quietly as flat rounds extensions etc cetera, etc cetera. so the lawyers are busy cranking away on deals but we're not seeing them coming out yeah no i, I mean a lot of the activity is supporting your good companies that are already in your portfolio if you're a venture manager that is really important right now to make sure that those companies have two years of runway. And so they can continue operating, not worry about whether they're gonna make payroll, focus on what's important, which is creating a great business. And you'll see uh, debt you know, come in, uh, convertible notes come in, anything to avoid pricing because insiders just tend to want to avoid pricing because they're biased. and. That's, you know, so you'll see venture, you'll see some venture debt coming in, you'll see convertibles, as I mentioned, and runway is the first, second and third agenda item at every board meeting for startup companies right now. Well, we'll continue to keep monitoring it again. As you may recall, if you are loyal listeners, we have done our own analysis in the past and we saw downturns typically last in terms of lower venture capital volumes for something on the order of five to seven quarters. And so we are now a couple of quarters in, but we still got considerable quarters to go. Yeah, you know, nevertheless, we found some good deals that were announced in October. And so, but only two of them this month achieved an 80 and one of them you're skeptical on, Chris. So it wasn't a bumper crop of blitz scalers this month. And it really wasn't uh, a, a terrific month for scoring overall. Now, remember, you know, we're very concerned with a particular kind of deal. And you know, those are a little rare. And 
usually there's four or five and this month there's maybe two or three. So we're down a little bit, but I don't think that's statistically significant. Yeah, so let's, but in order to make sure that we kept things interesting, we actually are going to look at one of the deals that is just on the border of Blitz Scalable with a 79. And as folks may recall, we will often go ahead and talk to a company that is at 79 or 78, simply because it may be that we'll learn something that causes us to change our assessment. And it could very easily be Blitz Scalable after all. In this case, the company that scored a 79 is a company called Telda, which is actually an Egyptian company. It's a classic Egyptian kind of neobank where they have a Visa card that or MasterCard that's very easy for people to use. Uh, it's an unbanked area. Egypt is, certainly has the emerging middle class, and Egypt is one of the larger countries in terms of population in the MENA region. The MENA region as a whole is underbanked. And so it just makes a lot of sense. And in fact, one of the reasons why it attracted our attention is that it raised its money from Sequoia. Sequoia both provided the seed funding as well as additional money as well to extend the seed. And Sequoia, of course, very famously invested in a little company called New Bank out of Brazil back in 2013. That one's done pretty well for them. Right. So we keep seeing these. We see them in pretty much every emerging market. And we always evaluate them and it's always borderline. And it's just, you know, yes, there's a land grab going on, right? So you have these unbanked people and you want to bank them. And once you're banked, then you're kind of, it's a really sticky thing. Like once your money is somewhere moving, it's a pain in the neck. And unless the, the financial institution becomes uh, untrustworthy or there's some real reason to move that's highly, you know, you, you're either enticed away, which is hard, or you're scared away, which happens. Um, either one of those two things has to happen. So it's really, really, really sticky. And if you are a, you become the incumbent for this, this new emerging class of people that want to keep their money somewhere, then that could be a very valuable business over time. So the question is, you know, is it really a blitzscaler? It's a regional blitzscaler, usually not a global blitzscaler. And so what are the things you look at, Chris, and, and how do you how do you figure this out? Well, this is very tough. I think part of it is you look at what is the size of the market. As we know, market size is really important. And to what extent do you really have that? So, for example, it's very easy to say, hey, this is going to blitz scale in the MENA region. But guess what? Each of those countries has a different regulatory regime. And what you do in one country may not necessarily work in another. One of the reasons why I think Sequoia invested in Telta is, of course, the team. The team has you know, people coming out of Uber, which ha ha has obviously scaled quite a bit, people with a lot of experience with this kind of growth. And they also had good relationships in Egypt. They were one of the first of these new neobanks to actually get an official banking license from the government. So this is not a ask forgiveness, not permission kind of situation. They have permission. And they're one of the few companies that have permission. So those are all very good, but that means, yeah, they can grow in Egypt, but will they be able to expand elsewhere? So for example, uh, Jeff and I were, are planning a trip to Saudi Arabia. And the question is, in Saudi Arabia, will they go for this kind of product or will they prefer a homegrown company? Uh, that is something I'm not entirely certain of. Yeah, so how, so what's a big enough market? You know, what's what's big enough? And that's that's something we struggle with. We like to invest in companies that could be global. And yet 
these financial services companies are highly profitable businesses and they're once you get the cash flow engine going then it just goes and goes so they're wonderful businesses to own they can if you look at the market cap of charles schwab it's we calculated it the other day around 80 billion or 100 billion so it's you know it, it, even if it's a tenth of that you've got a really valuable business well, well I we think know that the the mina region is about 300 million people and egypt is approximately a third of that saudi arabia is another 30 million and one of the interesting features of the cards is not just the ability to send money back and forth but the fact that the card can be used anywhere in the world and it's also probably really interesting for young people who in many of these societies have trouble getting their first bank account and this from what i've been able to read makes it very easy for young people um, and this is a region full of young people absolutely demographically speaking the latin america region and the mina region have uh, tremendous demographic tailwinds behind them uh, they're still very young and still very much growing you know one of the very unscientific approaches i take to looking at these markets is saying well it's pretty clear that brazil is large enough right it's basically go down the list of companies and say what's the one where it's still clearly large enough and brazil is clearly large enough so i would say that the test is to measure it in terms of number of brazils is it sub brazil is it above brazil how broad in the region does it have to be to be brazil sized well so this one's on the on the cusp uh, they got they've got twenty million dollars of fresh cash, so that's going to really help them with runway and with customer acquisition and and really taking advantage of their opportunity here. Um, you know, let's score it, and it starts out with winner take most. We talked about land grab, and generally with a land grab, we just can't give a ten because it's it's hard for a land grab to truly be perfect. In that, once you get the customer, you keep them forever. Sometimes it's a little less than forever. There's naturally going to be churn. And in the, in, if it's just an, an app and a financial relationship, you're going to have some churn. So you can't give it a 10, right? So we said it was a nine. And then for viral growth, you know, how do you think about that with this kind of app, Chris? Well, the reason why we really like this is it's not just that it is a MasterCard, because of course that's great. But, you know, is MasterCard really viral? The reason it's viral is because it also serves as a payment system. So like a Venmo, a Cash App, or any of these other things, which people use to send money back and forth, except now you can do so in a reliable way, which is backed by the MasterCard network and is sanctioned by the Egyptian government and the Central Bank of Egypt as well. So I think that this is something that will grow very quickly as a peer-to-peer -peer payment solution as well. And I think that that's what gives it its virality. In fact, uh, I don't know why they haven't done this yet, but I think that this is ripe for a PayPal-style referral incentive. Like this is a great thing that they could probably use to grow. Yeah, and who wouldn't want to own the Venmo of Egypt? I mean, I, I'd love to own that business. And I'm sure that's what Sequoia saw when they approached this company for investment. So it turns out that Egypt is exactly roughly half the population of Brazil, but only a quarter of its GDP per capita. But a much smaller Saudi Arabia has a GDP nearly equivalent to Brazil. So there you go. What we really need to see is it cannot be Egypt only. 
it's got to be able to expand. And I think that, you know, one of the things I've heard is that in many ways, Egypt and Saudi Arabia have pretty close ties. You need the size of Egypt, the growing middle class of Egypt, but you also need the the wealth of Saudi Arabia. And frankly, you know, I think it would be very interesting to see a combination of the two. So I do think that this can't just be Egypt only. It's got to grow in the region. And the question becomes, what are the signs that's growing in the region? That would be one of the things to evaluate. Right. So product market fit, we said, was a seven, you know. It's a seed deal. It's still very early on. Market size is dinked, right? Its market size is an eight. So if its market size were a bit bigger, if we were convinced that it was definitely going uh, not just across Egypt, but pan MENA and roping in Saudi Arabia and other wealthy areas and getting that population up there, that would probably bring the market size more up to a nine or possibly even a 10. And that would get it into the blitz scalable region. So definitely one of the reasons why we want to keep monitoring it. As a financial services company and a payments company, its gross margin is 10. That's fantastic. Org scalability and op scalability, this is one of the challenges of creating a service for the unbanked. These people are not used to using these services. There's a need for handholding of various kinds. There's a need for tracking down all sorts of problems. So we only gave it a seven for org scalability and op scalability, leading to a 79. But there's a clear pathway by which it could grow into a blitz scaler, and that's primarily by demonstrating that it can serve the entire MENA market as opposed to just Egypt. Yeah, and we see one of these every other month in a different region. So this is the one in Egypt that we're seeing. But I think this is a real opportunity for all entrepreneurs in growing economies. Yeah. Okay, next is a company called Mercantile. And they did a Series A, index led it. Uh, it was $15 million. And if you want to find them, it's getmercantile.com. I should enunciate the T there. Uh, company out of New York. And I, I like what they're doing. They, they help... Uh, create credit cards that get special discounts with certain vendors for particular trades. And they've started out with medical and they're just, well, it's, it's dental and vision. So not actual not real medicine, but it's, you know, dental and vision. <laughs> you know, it's actual medicine. It just has to be medicine? specific. I guess, I guess well, I, I think MD, right? And so, you know, I don't think these are MDs that are, that are there. They're, they're certainly, I guess, you call MD your dentist doctor. It's not so. the be all end all. All right. All right. Well, anyway, so um, they, the, you know, those, they, they buy lots of stuff from vendors who want to be their favorite vendor. And that vendor will do a deal with Mercantile for discounts. So if a dental office uses the Mercantile card for a particular purchase with a particular vendor, then they're going to save a bunch of money. And is that better than the 2% cash back you might get on your Capital One card or or whatever card you happen to use otherwise, I think maybe it would be. So it's a pretty interesting business. And I don't know, Chris, what do you, what do you think of it? Well, I love this one. And first, let me say that mercantile has nothing to do with the long discredited economic system of mercantilism that you may remember from your U.S. and world history classes growing up. Uh, that was a world in which it was really important for the United Kingdom to have colonies that would buy goods from English merchants. That has been long discredited by the great Adam Smith. However, mercantile is really intriguing because I see how it really helps both the customers and the vendors who are selling to those customers. This is a two-sided marketplace that benefits both of them. 
And it's so much more powerful than what we've typically seen with credit cards in the past. The classic way that credit cards have worked in the past is they are based on affinity. So I know Stanford University sends me notes about, hey, wouldn't you like a Stanford credit card? Or your favorite sports team says, hey, wouldn't you like to have a sports team branded credit card? And these are things that, you know, you have a sense of identity, but they lack the practicality of, hey, because you're a fan of the Lakers or because you went to Stanford, we know you want to buy these certain things. Yeah, you know, there's branded merchandise and gear, but that's a tiny portion of your spending. In contrast, Mercantile is offering discounts on the things you spend the money on most, the supplies for your particular medical profession or what have you. So I think that this is a fantastic idea. And I would just point out, let's just imagine if there were a mercantile card specifically offered by the National Venture Capital Association to people like us, and where if you use this card, you got significant benefits and discounts on things like going to visit Madeira at the Rosewood or uh, being able to fly on well, uh, first class. How to about just a, a discount on Pipe Drive and uh, the, the yeah. Google Suite and the entire tech stack. That's how about Carta? A discount on Carta? A Carta discount for sure. Uh, although I don't think they take credit cards at Carta. Ah. So no, there's a long history of buying groups across many, many industries. Um, small retailers, mom and pop stores coming together. So really this is kind of breaking that down and, and bringing it through a credit card. And they've done a great job of building a list of vertical relevant suppliers for the first ones are the eye care and the dental, but the, the eye care ones are spot on. So you could imagine this spreading across additional industries pretty easily. And you can tell we've got organizations like, and I quote from their website, the American uh, Optometric Association, the Academy of Doctors of Audiology, the Dental Success Network, the Medical Group Management Association, the Massachusetts Medical Society. See, that's that's a probably more general purpose medical. The American Association of Orthodontists and Dr. Chrono. I mean, these are real organizations. They have lots of members. Those members spend colossal amounts of money. I think this is a great idea. Yeah, those associations are always trying for relevance, right? So they, they, they need their members to feel like they're getting some benefit. And this, so it, I think they've done these kind of deals in the past, but it's hard for the members to remember there's a deal in place and to like a discount code or what is just complicated. And this takes all the complexity out of that entire equation. Just, just use your card. card and you get all the benefits. So yeah, it's a good one. How do we score it though? All right. So in terms of winner take most, we score it as a nine. That's because it is primarily a land grab with some marketplace elements, but this is something where these relationships already exist. So it's not like all of a sudden, like Airbnb, you're bringing on new hosts who had never been hosts before. The people who sell to orthodontists and audiologists presumably have been doing that for a long time. So it doesn't have the same kind of impact of bringing new people on. They still have existing relationships, but nonetheless, there is a marketplace element and which we gave it a nine out of 10. And then in terms of distribution, of course, their basic strategy is a distribution strategy work with the association the association has an existing channel it obviously has the ability to communicate with all of these folks traditionally it's a loose affiliation they can't do that much but when you're offering something this compelling i gotta believe there's going to be significant uptake so we gave it a nine out of ten here as well because it may not be completely viral but you got a great channel of distribution which you can leverage indeed so product market fit, you know, we gave them an eight and that's, you know, that's pretty good for a, a, a series A. Uh, it, it, it's 
a good product that meets the need of the market. We haven't used it because we're not dentists, but I think if we called customers, they would say, yeah, this is easy and it's saving me a lot of money. So it's, 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 it, I think it's pretty easy to see how this could fit into their business process without any friction. Yeah. So I think that that's exciting. If we look at the market size, well, of course, these are specialists, so it's not all doctors yet, but it is a lot of folks. I mean, these are big organizations, a lot of money in dentistry, a lot of money in audiology. So we gave it a nine out of 10. And then when it comes to gross margin, of course, is a pure financial product. So 10 out of 10. Uh, there is a little bit of a hit. We take them a little bit of a hit on org scalability because guess what? Notoriously, doctors and dentists are terrible when it comes to technology. Now, that may be changing as doctors and dentists are now people who've grown up with technology, but still they're a little bit of a laggard. So we say, yeah, you got to have a little more. Uh, a little more customer service to serve them. Again, it should be a no-brainer. It's just a card, but they're persnickety. They call up, so we gave it a 9 instead of a 10. And then a 10 on op scalability, because guess what? All you got to do is tap into the MasterCard Visa network and be able to work with them. So great. So as a whole, this pencils out to be an 80, which is a good score. It could get potentially even better as product market fit increases, as it's clear that there are just immense and incredible discounts. Well, I think the upside is more in market size. Because... I do that's exactly what I was going to say. They're only in two verticals now. And this, uh, when you read about the team, they come from small business families and they're clearly inspired by bringing these benefits to small businesses of all sizes if you read their mission. So this is just where they've started. And th there are so many other places like university alumni associations. How many business owners are among those groups or buying groups as i mentioned earlier this market size could could really go crazy but i still think it's got to be verticalized so i'm thinking vertical. maybe yeah. like you know contractors uh plumbers that sort of folk as well i think that the reason they chose doctors is because they have a lot of money and they're relatively well educated but i think that there's all sorts of other groups of small business owners that they could potentially go after and I agree, there could be ways to make the market even bigger. Again, we're all excited about this deal. Yeah, just go after the industry associations. This isn't a, a it's not a technology, it's not an industry specific app, except that those relationships with the vendors need to be in place. So whatever, there's just a, a big industry association with a lot of good vendor relationships, that could be a customer here. And so I don't see a lot of barrier to expanding beyond the, the couple of industries they're in. Well, I think you know it's that. time, given that we all like it, I think it's time to reach out to the founder and try to get in touch. Yeah, I think so. Perfect timing, too, with the Series A being announced. All right. We're on to the final company in this month's crop, and this is the one where I had some skepticism. So I'll let you guys go first and talk about it. All right. Well, so the deal itself is a Series B, and there's $20 million that came in. The lead investor was Casta Depot et Placement du Quebec, which is... And what is the name of this company? I, oh, you want the name of the company? Unito. Yeah, I think that'd be good. <laughs> U-N-I-T-O, Unito. And their uh, URL is unito.io. And Bessemer's in this deal, which is how it came onto our radar. They've raised $33 million all told. And this deal was announced in October, as since this is the October podcast, that goes without saying. And they are located in Montreal. So, Jeff, why don't you just, you're our Zapier user. So, why don't you, you tell us why this is different and why it's important? Well, indeed, I've used Zapier many, many years, and they have 
just an almost limitless number of integrations, a larger number at this time than Unido, which isn't surprising given that it's a new company. And it seems the main difference is that the Zapier integrations, to my knowledge, only go one way. Whereas what Unido is saying is ours go both ways. You can choose single direction, bi-directional, and you can decide which information goes back and forward. So it seems the main difference is they're building a, a sort of automation pipeline between a different number of apps. That said, Zapier is already a very large organization with nearly a thousand employees, um, largely bootstrapped from what I can see. And Unido is a hundred employees um, and, and uh, you know, a very undifferentiated product from what I can see. Well, I would say it's differentiated and that syncing is hard. So let's say you acquire a business and each business has its own CRM system. And somehow though, you know, you share customers. So, you know, when somebody calls one customer, you want the other one updated and vice versa. And it's the vice versa thing that this handles. And so instead of creating two zaps, one going one way and one going the other way, you just use this tool to keep them uh, in yeah. No, so, that's that's true. But I guess the main question is how strong a differentiation is one Zap versus two? And are people who maybe are are broadly using Zap, you're gonna gonna switch just because it reduces by 50% the number of zaps. No, uh, I don't think you switch. I think, I think when it's when you have a bi-directional need or the sort of a synchronization need, then you you choose this one. And when you don't, when it's just this, oh, I changed something over here, so you know, make some action happen elsewhere. Send an email because I you know updated this field. That's that's a good Zapier thing. Uh, yeah, I think it's sort of keeping apps in sync when that's really important. And you want an audit trail on that, then maybe this is the tool. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And the, the price is fairly negligible. So there's no reason you couldn't have both. Yeah. So, you know, Zapier has all the mindshare now, as you pointed out. They've been around a lot longer. They kind of invented this whole space. And we'll see, you know, but I, you know, I I think it's, you know, is it winner take most? Um, this is where we have a lot of debate uh you know I, I think it does grow virally because as you use these things then other people start using them too I, that's that's how zapier grew i think this grows the same way so we gave it a nine out of ten there but it's going to take most where we I, th I think we have some disagreement and i would argue that you know it's it's like zapier once these things are working and they're in place then you don't touch them and so that's again the land grab argument we haven't had a network effect deal really uh so far in this podcast we're not going to uh, there just weren't any that uh had strong network effects this month but you know it, this is kind of a land grab for this particular kind of problem and so i, I argue you know land grabs often get a nine so we gave it a nine but if you give it an eight then it drops below 81 and so, Chris, you want to comment on nine or eight and how you think about that or seven or six or wherever you think it should be? So let me talk about my skepticism of this deal as a whole. And it has less to do with the numbers, although the numbers are important, and more just with my overall philosophy that human beings are lazy and that Zapier, of course, is successful, but Zapier is successful as a bootstrapped company. They never actually raised, I think they raised 1.3 million, never raised any more. It's essentially been bootstrapped the whole way. It's been operated in a bootstrap fashion. I got a chance to meet Wade, the founder, uh, a number of years ago, a very impressive guy. And 
the fact is it's not clear that something like this should be bootstrapped until it's clear that it's sorry it should be blitzscaled until it's clear that it's working because it just requires so much behavior change on the part of individuals and because zapier was able to get that behavior change to get people to change even further from zapier to something else may be challenging right otherwise why haven't other people come up in the in the market to try to take on zapier or if they have why have they been so signally unsuccessful so that's point number one i'm just skeptical that this is actually a blitzscaling opportunity because i think that proving that this is actually something people need is really difficult to do the second reason why I'm highly skeptical is because of that unpronounceable lead investor. Scott, hit me with the pronunciation again. Caste Depot de Placement de Quebec. All right. So let me count the ways in which I'm concerned. First of all, it is a governmental entity that is leading this round. I mean, why is a Quebecois governmental entity leading this round? Second, again, not to be biased against the Quebecois, but you know they are not the most friend. Uh, the gov Quebecois government has historically not been the most business friendly in the world. What is going on here, right? Why is this not something where the found? And if I were a founder, why would I choose this instead of choosing to raise money from you know maybe the great investment firms I already have invested, like Bessemer or somebody else? So I view this as a red flag. Well, you're right. You know, it's not a, a, a blue chip uh, B round leader, but it is a B round. And so they've got to have some customers. They've got to have some traction. The This isn't something that, you know, might or might not work someday. Well, let's let's be clear. Their website here's so Jeff, you're an expert on Zapier. You know a bit more about Zapier than I do. Zapier is very widely used, right? Incredibly so. Unito currently has 50,000 users. How many users does Zapier have? How many millions of users does Zapier have? I would I would imagine countless. countless. So this is not. I mean, you're saying it's got traction, Scott, but I don't think it's got that much traction. Well, that's a that's a decent number of enterprise users, and it's also about growth. It's not enterprise users. It's anybody who wants to use it, right? It's something that people yeah, can get started um, with for free. This is a freemium product. I know, but keeping stuff in sync, you know, that's what enterprises do. People, humans don't like just regular people don't do that. Are so, all the people who use Zapier enterprise users? Probably, yeah. No, they're not, right? I Jeff don't... uses it. Are you an enterprise? He's no, no. He uses it because of business. He doesn't use it to keep. Uh, you know, his, I, I don't know, like, well, that's fair. No, yeah, no, people, look, people are using, people are using Zapier for business purposes, right? They're not just doing it. I'm very few, a couple of weirdos might be doing it for like this Google alert triggers this tweet or something like that, but that's just a couple of weirdos. Most of the time it is business usage, but my point is it's not enterprise usage. Okay. It's not something where the company has decided to use it. It's where one random dude in the company is like, I got a problem. I'm going to fix it with Zapier or I got a problem. I'm going to fix it with Unito. And in the case of Unito, there's 50,000 of those random guys or gals. And in the case of Zapier, there's 20 million of them. And it's a long way to go before it's demonstrated true traction. Sure, but Zapier, if they raise money, would be a unicorn. And yeah, got, uh, uh, obviously, but we're talking about something that, again, might be, uh, let's call it one one thousandth of a Zapier right now. Yeah, well, you got to start somewhere. So what if they were 20,000 in July and they're 150,000 now? That's that a different be, story. Then I would be more so, excited. It's so, so just the raw, the raw numbers are not that interesting. You need to understand the growth trajectory for the number to make, you know, to be put in context. A recent interview with the founder says 50,000 users by 7,000 companies and that it's grown, it's doubled in the last six months. 
and that they're counting on a trend that Gartner has identified that is the consolidation of SaaS tools in, in enterprises. So people are going to want to reduce tools, they're going to want to stick with the ones they know, and this one can help them connect. So they're banking on that trend. Again, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not opposed in principle to what they're talking about. I just see there being some red flags. I think that, you know, Series B feels a little premature at this point for the level of traction they have. And again, I look at it and I say, is this a case where, you know, is this is the company based in uh, in Quebec? I noticed that they have an FR on their website for French. So you can look at it in French. I mean, how many SaaS companies have the FR there? I wonder if this is a let's support the regional champion kind of play. I get that feeling as well, right? It, yeah. it, it, it's the only up and comer in Quebec, and that's why the government's behind it, which um, is understandable, but also potentially not as impartial as one would hope. Yeah, that's right. So is this just, you know, good old fashioned, you know, corporate development, sort of uh, regional economic development, or is there greed motivating this entirely, the, 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 the pricing of this deal and the money going in? It's probably a lot more of the former. And you're very right for us to be on, uh, on alert for that kind of investment. Yeah. That being said, uh, I don't disagree with the scoring. I just see these red flags that concern me. Okay. All right. Well, so um, that is the three deals we wanted to talk about this month. Anything else that, uh, Chris, you're feeling like people ought to know? Well, no, I mean, I just think that we continue to survey the economy, the markets as a whole. There's a lot of concern that continues to be going on around inflation, around where the markets are going. Uh, I will say that one of the things I always feel every month as we look at these companies is even in a month like this where we had a relatively small crop, we still saw plenty of companies that were very interesting. Uh, I just think that, again, human ingenuity is something that is a renewable resource that continues to just drive amazing things around the world. And I continue to be very positive and optimistic about the future. Oh, yeah. Innovation is not stopping just because fundraising has pulled back somewhat. That that has always been true and it will always be true. So couldn't agree with you more. Excellent. Well, folks, let's go ahead and bid you farewell for the month. Again, this has been Blitz Scalable Venture Deals for October 2022. Next month, we'll be looking at November deals. And who knows, maybe we'll be closing out the year and providing a year in review. At any rate, I hope that you've enjoyed this broadcast. On behalf of Scott Johnson and Jeff Abbott, I'm Chris Yeh. Thank you for listening.